Phase World Podcast helps independent creators live their creative and financial freedom. I'm your host, Fei Wu, and I'll be taking you through a series of interviews with creators from around the world who are living life on their own terms. Each episode is packed with tactics, nuggets you can implement, origin stories to make listening productive and enjoyable. We're not only focused on the more aspirational stories, but relatable ones as well. We also have non-interview-based mini-series releasing throughout the year to help deep dive into topics such as freelancing, marketing, even indie filmmaking that will benefit creators like you. Show notes, links, and ways to connect with the guests are available on phaseworld.com. Now, on to the show. Our focus today is going to be how sponsorships and influencer programs actually work. And for two groups of people, if you are a YouTuber content creator, definitely stay on. And if you're a brand, you know, if you're a tech company or any sort of company now looking to partner with YouTubers and creators uh, on YouTube, definitely stick around because Anya has been this powerhouse to really push forward and did so much on her own, so much to share. And we're using Restream to go live. It's super simple. One button push. You don't have to worry about OBS or anything. And at the beginning, I even hooked up Restream with Zoom and to go live directly from Zoom. There are a lot of options and there's a link below. You can use Restream forever for free. And when you do decide to upgrade, there's a $10 credit. So let us get started. Um, all right, Anya, welcome. And as promised, uh, I said that you know you are head of influencer marketing at Restream and you look great. I would love for you to talk to us briefly about your setup, please. Thank you so much. This is, um, it's always a pleasure to be here, Faye. Thank you so much for having me today and hello to all the community. Super excited. So yeah, it's, uh, I'll start with a brief story. Whenever I show up to meetings, like, of course, I use the setup for, for everything that goes externally, all the external meetings, conversations, even something that doesn't necessarily get streamed, but just, just, um, just a pitch call or a chat. And I know that my camera intimidates people <laughs> a lot because like very often I get on the call with people and the first thing they say is like, I need to upgrade my camera and I know exactly where mm-hmm. it's coming from because they see my image and they're like, whoa. So yeah, okay. so. Yeah, that's uh, that's the magic of DSLR camera. It's a little bit of an investment, and um, I I would definitely not recommend people to get super stuck on this idea that unless I have DSLR or mirrorless camera, I mm-hmm. I don't I'm not good enough to go live. You can do a wonderful job with a good web camera and good lighting, and that's something that I'll also cover briefly in terms of your setup. How light is more important. Uh, than, than the camera in a lot of ways because the best camera in the world in dark space is not going to provide any good image. And a very moderate camera with perfect lighting is going to do a better job. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in general, I did start with a with a, just a small Logitech Brio. I think it was, it, it was even not Brio at first. It was just one of those Logitech web cameras. And then slowly but surely, eventually I did upgrade to DSLR. I do connect it through uh, Camlink, Elgato Camlink to kind of like mm-hmm. trick my computer into thinking that the DSLR is a web camera. And that's what mm-hmm. kind of works for me. Uh, it integrates the studio very easily. And once you connect the, the cam link and the camera, you just simply find it in the sources for your video inputs. And then that's the image that you get. Um, so on top of that, there are two key lights from Elgato that kind of create this this, this lighting for me here. Um, you can pretty easily substitute them with, with the sun or any other lights, but just remember that more light on you, better the quality is going to look no matter the camera. 
Um, a couple of more tricks about the camera that I like to share is definitely if you're considering to use DSLR, you can actually use older cameras as long as it has the video setting on it. Uh, that, that should work for you. But just remember that the newer versions of cameras don't have any latency. They, they do really well with the latency. So when you watch me, you actually don't see any delays between my audio and my video. That's because the newer cameras kind of like account for that. Mm-hmm. While older DSLRs, like if you take one from like five years ago, for example, which we did use at first, like one of our coworkers actually donated his his DSLR camera for for just a little test drive for us. And people saw a noticeable delay with the same cam link, the same computer, the same setup, just because older cameras do have that tendency to be a little bit more delayed. So just something to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. And I guess another thing that you mentioned earlier about the, the batteries, like, right? Yeah. Like how do you how do you make sure that the batteries doesn't die in the middle of your stream, which is my personal nightmare because it did happen before to me, of course. You learn <laughs> you learn on your own mistakes. So there are two ways to kind of like overcome that. Option one is some of those cameras actually come with a cable that you can connect directly to your USB-C dock, which connects to your charging and sometimes to your Ethernet. And in that case, your camera basically is constantly charging. However, that trick specifically for our Canon, it didn't work really well for whatever reason. We did have it connected, but at some point it started to like not, not feel, not see that source of energy. And then sometimes I would just turn on and it would be dead. So what we ended up with is we decided to buy two, um, two sets of batteries, right? Like, and as I speak right now, there is one battery constantly charging Mm-hmm. And even if, let's say I have a three-hour stream and whatever, all I need to do is to quickly change the batteries in the middle. And I can ask one of my teammates to do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll ask in that case, the host to kind of maximize themselves while I do that. Uh, or I can like constantly rotate the two cameras, like the two uh, batteries. And every time I leave the office, every time I'm done with the stream, I make sure I swap them. It just mm. became be- became the nature for me. So like, that's kind of how I make sure that I, I'm always fully charged. So yeah, that's a long intro about my camera. <laughs> oh, this <laughs> is funny. great. And which camera exactly are you using? I have a Sony 6400 mirrorless. Uh, which one do you have? This is Canon uh, AOS T8i. So that's one of the simple cameras, but one of the simple Canons. I believe it is about $800 on Amazon pre-tax in the United States. And it is currently the one that I'm using is with the lens it came with. So you can always upgrade the lens if you want more kind of like depths, like focus on you, everything behind you is super blurred, like more kind of um, opportunity to play with it. But honestly, for my purposes uh, of live streaming, kind of like a talking head interview type thing. Mm-hmm. It it does it does absolutely amazing. And then yeah. the the only other thing you need to worry about is good lighting. And then it's gonna it's gonna look pretty, pretty epic. I'm I'm so glad we're doing this because people can now <laughs> see us side by side. The difference between uh Anya on a, on a 4K camera versus what I have, most people have a Logitech 1080p. And it's really interesting that for me that I I, I can't believe I only started thinking about this recently, but I too worried about, you know, switching, going from meeting to meeting and switching between the cameras, having one not work and the battery issue was top of mind. So also you mentioned, uh, Anya, quickly about lighting. Um, do you currently have two lamps? Or what are some of the light sources you have? And do you have like a three point light, 45 degrees in front of you and one behind you, something like that? 
I I do actually, um, yes. So basically, it's almost like a four point <laughs> if you look around. <laughs> so I do I do have two key lights, uh, which kind of um, they yeah, like one is mainly lighting me up and the other one is kind of taking care of uh, the shades. Mm-hmm. And what I really love about the Elgato lights is, and I'm going to do a little demo right here so I can control the, the temperature, right? Like, so now I am, uh, you know, trying to be bigger. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So here we go. And, 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 and here comes my, my four slide, which is that lightsaber, right? Ooh, that right yeah. there. So yeah, so the lights uh, that you're seeing right now, I, I can control the temperature. Like, watch how I can get like very yellow with them. Ooh, yeah, and or I can get, and I can also get a lot brighter or less like darker. Yeah, so you see how that like constantly, and that's my key light. Like, I can make it very bright and very yellow. So, like mm. this kind of thing is something that you can play with with uh, with key lights which I think is amazing because in the end of the day, every single stream is different for a lot of people. And a lot of times, like you kind of like, you look at your your guest or, or your host, like in this case, and you kind of like compare yourself, you don't want to be too yeah. yellow or too blue right next to them. So, and that's just the app on the phone. Then you can adjust it as you go and the brightness can be adjusted. Especially super cool for people who are partially using natural light, which is actually also mm-hmm. happening to me because I have glass doors everywhere and the yeah. sun is coming through. So sometimes I get like overlit because, because the sun is here. And in that case, I will kind of like dim my lights a little bit. And sometimes it's a dark or just kind of rainy day. And then I get, I, I get them full blown in, in, in my face. So, so it lights me better. And yeah. I do have a couple of lights to like light up my my tapestry, my like yeah. Wonder Woman sunset or sunrise, whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Uh, and that little guy on the side is just it's just like a color changing um, LED light that I uh, a lot of people refer to as a lightsaber. Like, oh, that's your lightsaber. And yeah. what I, brand is that? Do you, do you remember? That is something that we bought on, I think on Amazon. It was, it was just one of those things. We saw really cool LED lights with, uh, that one of our influencers was using. Mm. And, and we were like, oh gosh, we want this thing. And like, that was the closest thing we found. Yeah. And at first we were like, this is, this is ridiculous. It's just a stick, you know, like, what is it? But <laughs> I kind of, learn to like it a lot because it, a lot of people refer to it as a lightsaber because it does kind of like, it looks through the reflection in yeah. my, in my table, like it goes through it. So, so it became a thing. Wow. And the, yeah. The key so. light. What's the name of the brand for your key lights? I know those can go from $70 all the way up to like thousands of dollars. Yeah, yeah. Those are Elgato, uh, the same as my Camlink. It's Elgato, in my opinion, is one of the best brands out there that takes care of lighting. And they have those ring lights that are very affordable and they're a lot smaller, more portable and mobile. And these are the key lights. So that's the top of their line. And I got two. I believe Mm -hmm. one is $250. So like the two of them are about $500. So again, that's an investment. And you can definitely start with one key light. And you definitely can do a lot with one ring light, which also has this really cool effect. If you're using the ring light, it creates that kind of like shiny ring in your eye. So that's what a lot of people really like to see when they're streaming that kind of like shiny you know, brightness in their eyes. So that's definitely, I definitely recommend if you're looking into lights and thinking about leveling up your quality mm-hmm. with, with proper lighting, look at the collection that Elgato is offering. There's a lot of different options for different budgets and for different kind of like level of sophistication that you can introduce into your setup. 
For sure, for sure. And and I can't help noticing that your mic sounds really good. I hope yeah. I, I'm matching up volume-wise. Um, yeah. I was a podcaster first, but you're, I think the, the mic that you're using works really well. It is intimate without manipulating your voice so much. And then just the whole package, you know, such an upgrade for Livestream, for sure. Totally, totally. Audio is super important. We kind of covered that during the previous um, conversation that live streaming, as counterintuitive as it sounds, a lot of times is experienced by your audience as a podcast because they have the live stream as one of their tabs and they're doing something else and they're just actually listening in. So the quality of your sound is much more essential and critical for your audience to stick around than the quality of your video. In general, with live streaming, people are more forgiving to slightly imperfect video but they're not forgiving to bad sound. So if people cannot understand you, if there's a lot of interference, kind of background noise or some kind of hum, that is really annoying. Sometimes people don't even understand what is frustrating about the stream, but they would just right. go away because it's not working with, with, with them on some kind of sub, subconscious level. So if you want to invest, invest in the mic first. Oh, wonderful. So microphones, mm-hmm. and then I would say light microphone lights, and finally camera. You can use your Logitech for a while and... Uh, I definitely will consider the upgrade with a, with a battery backup. So this is wonderful, Anya. Thank you so much for sharing this. And um, I would love to kind of get into the se- second segment. There are a lot of YouTubers, content creators. I, I do refer to them collectively because uh, I think YouTuber has, uh, it's a really interesting space to work um, on YouTube. And so I want to talk about this influencer program. The first question that was sent to me was, okay, we, specific to YouTube or even Instagram, it's so easy to look at subscriber counts. Um, But, Mm -hmm. you know, what are some of the other metrics, vanity or otherwise, that brands like you yourself are looking at when evaluating creators? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's a very creative process for us, for sure. Many other brands would agree with me that there's no, this is one place where there is no formula, so to say, that you can follow. There are some frameworks and some templates that you can uh, use as, as as a brand in order to kind of maximize your results. But most of the time it is a creative process and it's a lot of just, you know, someone's opinion, man, you know, and someone's decision that this this is going to work or not. But I'll break down a couple of things that we definitely look into. And I, I do think that for those who are seeking for sponsorships, that would be uh, very helpful because just to kind of like create that checklist and check yourself on, on those things. So the follower count is important, but it's like you mentioned, not the most important metric. Mm-hmm. People do want to have some kind of audience, right? Like it doesn't make mm-hmm. sense for brands to invest in someone who doesn't have viewers. So we definitely want to see some follow. And, and the follower is just a very easy way to understand like, okay, this is a big channel. This is a medium-sized channel. This is a micro-influencer. So at the same time, we understand that the number of subscribers, especially on YouTube, is completely not representative of the actual engaged audience and viewership that you will get on every piece of content that you're sponsoring. So the first thing that we look at after we saw that first number and kind of like filed it into big, medium or small, literally, like that's the criteria. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, nothing deeper than that. We start looking at the average views on each video. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you can see that the, the numbers don't necessarily match. You can have a channel with 5,000 followers and average viewership will be 500 which means that out of those 5,000 people, you know, they're very engaged. Like 10% is always showing up. They're very interested in, in the content and the creator is keeping them involved. Mm-hmm. 
And we have seen channels with, I want to say, hundreds of thousands of followers, right? Like you're looking at 100, 200, 300,000. Mm. And then you look at the viewership and you see similar numbers. You see 200 views, you see 500 views, you see 1,000 views. And then you think, okay, so obviously there's a lot of subscribers there, which we don't know how they gain those subscribers. We don't know how old is that subscriber count, how active those people are. But by the number of views on each new videos that they produce, we can tell how many people are actually engaging. Mm -hmm. Another thing that happens quite a bit is you can see that uh, some creators would have a couple of videos that they kind of put as featured and those would have thousands or tens of thousands of views. And you think, oh gosh, like this is great. And then you scroll down and then you see that those are mm -hmm. probably the ones that got promoted somehow, that got mm -hmm. search engine optimized. And then the rest of the videos are actually back to those 150 whatever views. Right. So that's, um, again, that does, it's not a disqualifier for the influencer because a lot of times what you want is that specific niche that they're catering to. And it doesn't matter. You don't necessarily go for you know, 10,000 views, you might go after those 200 views, but the very specific and very precisely targeted mm -hmm. ones. But that's something that you would definitely need to understand whenever you pitch as as an influencer to the sponsor, what are your numbers and what they're going to be seeing and looking at. Mm -hmm. So those, those are the numerical things, of course. A lot of times we ask, uh, what is your main channel, right? Like, so mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's kind of like a YouTuber slash restream question, maybe, mm -hmm. because if you are a YouTuber, then of course, YouTube is your main channel. And then we we would be interested and curious to know how many followers you have on Twitter or on Facebook and on LinkedIn, but that's not your main channel, right? Like, so we kind of like go over to, to your main space. While other people can say, yes, my YouTube channel is very small, but that's not my main platform. Like for me personally, for example, my YouTube channel is, is tiny. It, it's like, I, I don't really pay much attention to it. I don't really work on that. My main platform is LinkedIn. That's where I have thousands and thousands of followers. And that's what, if I were to sell it to a sponsor, that's what I would pitch primarily. So that's another thing to kind of like keep in mind, like what's your main channel? If you have many channels that are developed equally, then that's your, that's your big sales point, right? Like you can say, I have a lot of channels that are equally developed, they're equally engaged. So you're tapping into all these audiences and those are different people because I think it's logical to assume that the content that you're creating on YouTube will not be watched by the same person on YouTube than on Twitter and then on Facebook. That just generally doesn't happen. Those are usually different audiences and different people. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's that's just the major metrics when it comes to like initial conversation, like initial evaluation, like, okay, so what's their follower count? What's their average view count? How many platforms do they go to? Which is their main channel? And like, what kind of engagement we're going to get out of that? And on mm -hmm. other platforms that are not YouTube, we definitely look at things like comments, likes, mm -hmm. shares, because that's another huge thing for us. Views are counted differently by different platforms. For example, YouTube counts as a view, something that um, when the person's kind of stuck around for over 10 seconds, I believe, Facebook counts a view as anything that was scrolled through your feed and someone like mm -hmm. stopped for two, three seconds. That's mm -hmm. already a view. So there's like a lot of different ways how people think about that. But of course, if someone commented, and especially if the comment had some substance, not just like, hey, or <laughs> I'm from Austin, but someone mm -hmm. actually made a, like a beefed up comment that like, makes sense and like contributes to the conversation. Like that's the type of things we're also looking at. Like, okay, how engaged their audience is? How interactive they are? Are they having a conversation around a piece of content? Because in the end of the day, that's what the brand wants. 
This is the most thorough, like most complete <laughs> answer. And it's so important because so many people just assume that somehow brands are only looking at that subscriber count. And I urge people that if you're creating, and I know that it feels slightly embarrassing if you have 50, 100 subscribers to begin with, or, you know, that, that uh, goal post just keeps on changing. You're embarrassed again at a thousand, 10,000, but definitely... Do not go out there sub for sub, which means you're encouraging people to subscribe to your channel only in exchange that you also subscribe to theirs or certainly, you know, buying subscribers. None of this really works. And uh, it's really about, it's a, it's a long-term process. And knowing that people like Anya, like Restream are really paying attention holistically, not just a sub count, more reasons not to um, kind of cheat or trick the system. I'm not saying a lot of people are doing that out there. Um, but there was a period of time um, that we're seeing that. So, so I am like, I was wondering, is there any uh, mechanism? Maybe this is a question for brands. We're thinking about this as well. You know, we sometimes use social blades, uh, social blade or social blades. The numbers can be off for certain aspects like revenue and all that. But are there any systems out in the public that you trust and you might use to evaluate influencers or, or vet them out? Yeah, so I'm sure there are a lot of good systems. And when we initially started this this whole program for our influencers, it was much more of a one 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 girl show, one person thing. So we didn't really we we didn't have the resources to utilize those those platforms. And most of the things kind of like went manually for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to your point, like follow for follow type thing, like that was one of the biggest disqualifiers. And if you wonder, people still do that. And like a lot of people do that. It was one of the biggest disqualifiers that we had for, for most influencers. When someone would pitch to us and say, hey, I have a big Twitter account. Like I'm going to like stream live on Twitter for you. We would go to their Twitter. And if they have 200,000 followers and they are following 200,000 people, yeah. Uh, that that would immediately mean for us that those people are not engaged. They, that was just an exchange. It was purely transactional. And those people are not interested in what this person has to say. Right, so right. Um, definitely a lot of that, um, there are a lot of systems that can kind of like scrape the internet and tell you like, okay, so these are the profiles with your keywords that you can um that you can search by and this is the follower count and this is the average viewer count and whatever. But a lot of times for us till this day, because we're focusing on quality of relationships and quality influencers versus quantity, our metrics are not about how many contracts we sign per day or per month or how many influencers we onboard per week. It's about the conversions. It's about, which of course we'll touch on very soon. It's yeah. about the viewership, the exposure, the reach, the brand voice, the um, the presence of, of Restream, uh, the, the number of quality contents, like the units of content, like how many videos or masterclasses or workshops or interviews like this one were created by our partners. Like those are the metrics. We don't care how many people we, we basically contract or, or work with. So in that sense, it does pay off for us to do that work, like that human check of like, okay, so let's look at this profile. Let's make sure this is, this is a good match for what we're trying to do. Mm, wonderful. I think we kind of just slowly stepping into the success where the metrics as you know, after the fact, after you hire these influencers, how you look at their s- success. Um, one thing I think immediately comes to mind is we have, for example, our affiliate links and referral links and the click-through rate on that and how many people end up signing up, even better upgrading their accounts to you know the pro account or restream or business account. Um, could you speak to that a little bit? Is there anything yeah. else you're looking at? 
Yeah, so that's the big one. And that's kind of like one of the myths that I, uh, unfortunately, whether I love it or not, uh, have to break <laughs> to mm. people all the time, which is kind of, kind of, surprising and at the same time, common sense, right? So a lot of times I would have conversations with our influencers about the fact that if if you did a video for a brand, if you created some kind of a post or content, if you shared, if you mentioned the brand, it doesn't mean that that that's success for us, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you doing the work, like doing the right things, creating content is not a metric for us. We are looking at two main things. And of course, number one thing, as any brand, we are trying to acquire more users, right? Like the main goal of influencer marketing uh, program for any brand is new user acquisition, closely followed by retention, reducing churn, and uh, making the average revenue per account higher through the education, through the demos, through the trust that the influencer already built with their community. But the number one goal is new, new users. So if you created 10 pieces of content that resulted in one subscription um, and we paid, let's say, $1,000 per each piece of content, we wasted money mm -hmm. because one subscription for us is $49. Even with average LTV that you know, could fluctuate between six and 12 months, it is, still, uh, it is still a loss for us and a big loss. Mm -hmm. So, And if we created one video that resulted in 50 subscriptions and we paid you know, thousand or five thousand or ten thousand dollars for it. That, that that's kind of how we do the math. So this is the formula that we are using internally, and that I'm kind of like generously <laughs> sharing with people yeah. as a good opportunity yeah. to kind of, um, especially for those who are seeking for sponsorships and partnerships, to mm -hmm. consider. Think about the price that the rate that you're offering per month, per project, per video, per whatever piece of content that the brand is going to sponsor. Mm -hmm. Then look at their um, price per yeah. subscription, right? Like like their mm -hmm. average average revenue. And then definitely ask, what is your average LTV if it's a subscription business? Like what is the lifetime value of that customer? How long do they typically stay subscribed? Mm -hmm. Because that one subscription, unless you are work, doing the influencer work for a one-off thing, if, if people are selling shoes, then it's just the one sale, right? Their LTV mm -hmm. is just one sale. Mm -hmm. And if it's a subscription business or if it's an annual prepaid enterprise business type model, then so that, that unit, that, that, that account, that contract, right, that subscription mm -hmm. that they are after, that's your number one thing. And for subscription, it's also multiplied by LTV. So mm -hmm. the best thing for you to understand if you're bringing value to your brand is to look at your rate per project or per month divided by their average revenue per account. And that number is what you are going to get. So for example, to make it very simple, if you are charging $1,000 per month and people are selling something that costs $50 and on average, they hope that that person will stay for 10 months, right? So like, so $500 would be their mm -hmm. total revenue from that. So that means that in order to be successful, in order to bring, to make brand happy, you need to bring two paid users for those thousand dollars, right? Like thousand dollars is what you charge. Fifty dollars is what they sell their their product for. They expect those people to stay for ten months, so that becomes five hundred dollars per sale. So mm -hmm. one thousand divided by five hundred, that means two. So that's for them to break even. If you're making three or four paid users at that rate, you're bringing the brand 
profit and they're very happy. So they will continue working on that. And the most logical thing for them to do is to kind of assess and say, well, do you think you have 10 paid users in your community, Mm -hmm. in your kind of like circle, right? And if you do, we will obviously double that amount. We'll triple that amount because we want to continue that. But then there is, there's a point when it ends, right? If mm-hmm. you have a community of 5,000 people, you're not going to be bringing in 10,000 paid users because that's just against mm-hmm. the physics of planet Earth. That's not how math works. So yeah. that's another thing for you to assess. Like, what is the purchasing power of your community? How you are not going to overwhelm your community with constantly pitching and selling? But at the mm-hmm. same time, how do you take your rate divide that by what the brand is trying to sell, add up, add on with LTV, and then that number is going to be something. And if you approach the conversation with brand with mm-hmm. from this perspective, I guarantee you, you're going to like knock their socks off. They'll be like, oh, wow. Like these people really think about what they're trying to offer. They're not just charging me because, you know, we'll give you exposure. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's, that means that you understand their business and you understand their metrics and their reporting. And they will be, they will be definitely ready to collaborate when you approach them from their point of view. This is such a beefy and juicy content. I didn't even expect us to get to this level of details, uh, yeah. which is great. You know, I'm working on a YouTuber kit, which is a product I'm developing, launching in June. I want to give people a precisely this level, level of insights because frankly, guys, it is a two-way street. Um, in order to have a good collaboration, it takes two people, the brand and the individual to have a, like a very smooth process and I think especially the first engagement is the most time-consuming. It is an investment of time and effort on both ends. So um, one thing, um, if you don't mind me kind of probing a little bit, which is uh, Restream is a software company, like you said, the pro account, let's say $49 a month. There is a forever free version. Um, and how would you? How would somebody go about assessing uh, the, the the average uh, duration of a customer who chooses to stay. I mean, I've stayed on for more than a year and I can see myself live streaming for years to come. But uh, this isn't quite the same as like email marketing or we're having a website, which is, I'm not saying low level, but it's a little more usual for people. Oh, I've had a website for five, 10 years. So how do people, you know, I can just ask like questions straight up to like assess that or ask that. Yeah, so mm-hmm. every brand knows their uh, average LTV if they're a subscription business or mm-hmm. kind of like their average uh, value per account if that's a one-off thing. Because for, for retail brands or for someone who's selling like one-off thing, there's also uh, the refunds and some kind of churn. They, 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 of course, subscription business are more prone to churn, right? Like you subscribe, you stay for a couple of months, you tried, something didn't work, you decided to cancel. So that's mm-hmm. what's called churn. So that's more uh, software companies or um, even subscription businesses, first of all, but even other businesses that can have that repetitive client coming back and paying for something, they, they are prone to churn. All of them are. Versus people who sell like physical goods, of course, the only churn is if someone refunds, like returns the product and, and gets a refund. But those all are still accounted. So every brand knows what's, your, what's their average revenue mm-hmm. per account, which means if you sell something for $10 and then you have a $50 and then a $100 plan, you know where you fall on average by, you know, by combining all the plans and dividing by the number of people who bought them. Usually it's mm-hmm. not one of those, like sometimes this mm-hmm. could be like $30 on, your, on average or $80 on average because all of those things combine. So mm-hmm. every brand knows that number for them. Mm-hmm. And the LTV is the same thing. Every single brand knows, knows that number. They know exactly how much on average people mm-hmm. stay uh, on on their platform, and that accounts for people like you who tried Restream and and 
found a bunch of value in it and continue using for years. And it accounts for people who signed up and were like, oh, I thought this is a video editing platform. Oh, it actually, oh, it just goes mm-hmm. live. Dang, I actually don't need this. So like that accounts yeah. for all of those situations, right? Because yeah. of course the quality of traffic is different. People find us through different, different ways. And when when you are starting the conversation, I think it's perfectly fine for, mm-hmm. for an influencer, for a creator to ask that question directly to to the brand. It, it will actually only show that you did the homework. Mm-hmm. And different brands might, might have different policies on whether they share or not share that number. Because for a lot of people, it does kind of tell you a little bit about the business, like and how healthy this is, even though it, it's, again, like it's fluctuating. A lot of times brands will throw some kind of like a very average, very um, kind of arbitrary number and say, okay, well, let's, let's, let's make it six months. So let's make it 10 months for LTV. But that's what they want to base the whole thing on, right? And that's what they will be then holding you accountable. And that's what you can say, well, you told me that on average, your, your clients stay for a year. That means mm-hmm. that if I make the sale for $10, that means I'm bringing you, um, obviously, $120 right here. So mm-hmm. that's that's what you told me that, that your numbers are. So that's mm-hmm. that's very important to ask. And every brand has those numbers. Mm. Oh, this is so cool. Uh, I can already imagine like creating different segments to kind of really break down. And um, so, so Anya, you started already answering the question, like how creators should really charge. Um, but I want to make that... Kind of connection even more clear. The point of us having this this part of the conversation is that creators always ask the question, "How much should I charge?" And frankly, there are brands out there who do expect creators to work for free. They tell they give you a million reasons why you should edit this video for 10, 20 hours for free. Come on, yeah. and uh, and it's really interesting to get into those conversations. And sometimes people say yes because if if Sony or some other brands give you you know, revamp your entire work, workstation, fine. Um, but I do think creators in general should charge, even if it's little to start with. Um, but um, what are some of the, I get pitfalls or, or mistakes people made to kind of easily price them, price themselves outside of their competition? Because in conversations with creators, looking at their subscriber count, I'm thinking, I want to say that either, oh my God, you don't understand your value, you're charging too little, or you're charging way too much. I mean, that is just exactly yeah. like you explained on you. Like, no way brands will pay this much. Like, is yeah. there anything else you want to add to that for like trivial things we... <laughs> that, is just, that is so funny because that's literally my world. Like, right? Like, this is what I do all the time. And more often than not, you get some kind of, uh, you know, ridiculous number that people just throw on you and you ask, well, how did you come up with this? Like, why is it $10,000 per video on your channel? <laughs> just like, why? I, yeah. I just wonder. And a lot of times, um, and this is, this is, I'm sure it's, it's kind of, it's common sense, but also not. Uh, it's mind blowing to hear that, like, well, that's what my work worth. Like, that's, that's mm-hmm. how much I need. Mm-hmm. This is how much time I'm going to put into this, this video. And from brand's perspective, the first question I want to ask is, okay, um, what, like, why do you think that I, as a client, should pay Mm -hmm. something that just makes sense to you, Mm -hmm. right? Like, imagine you come to a store and, you know, someone is selling, I don't know, wine or tomatoes, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you come in and say, okay, how much are tomatoes? And the answer is like, well, it's million dollars per Mm -hmm. this little bag. Because I think it's worth it. Because that's how much time it took me to grow those tomatoes. Like, what would you say to that? Like, you'll be like, but like the value of this tomato is for me. I'm just trying to make a mozzarella tomato salad, right? <laughs> like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not shopping for a Ferrari here. So that's kind of, and, and maybe, maybe those are tomatoes that give you superpowers and you become 
uh, a Hulk or you start flying like Superman, then those tomatoes all of a sudden might be worthy of an extra additional investment, right? So it kind of depends on on what what kind of value you're bringing to people. And that's when that formula comes back right away. And whenever I get a ridiculous proposal from, from influencers, which does happen, um, I immediately respond with like, okay, so it sounds like $10,000 is what you want for, for collaboration. Cool. Yeah. That means that divided by our average account, which is $49, divide, multiply by our average LTV, which is, you know, the, the X number, you are looking at bringing, let's say, ridiculously 500 paid users per, per month. Is that something that you want to commit? Yeah. And all of a sudden, the conversation, <laughs> that conversation Just really right? turns. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, the person says, oh, well, there's no way I can commit to 500 uh, you know, paid users per, per month. Well, mm-hmm. then we cannot commit to $10,000 per month for, for a video. So mm-hmm. then, because that's, that's what we're trying to buy, right? Like we're trying to tap into your audience, give you, give you the resources and tools, you know, provide you with all the media assets and gets everything you need. But then in the end of the day, you got to bring that audience back to us as restreamers, as members of our creator family, as mm. free users or paid users. So like that's, that's what we're trying to get. And if the result of that interaction is nothing, then of course you are overpriced. We have low ROI and we basically wrap up the partnership. That's, that's what's going to happen. So that's when, when you're pricing yourself, remember that, assess what do you think you can bring in in terms of conversions and i think another common mistake is to think if i if i price myself too low i will not be able to ask for more ever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a very common misconception. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to just just trash it now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, because for me, if someone says, hey, I'm going to you know, give it a try. Like, I don't know exactly how many people start signing up for a stream. Let's do a thousand thousand dollars per month and see like what happens. And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden I see that that thousand dollar person is bringing us hundred paid users. So like mm-hmm. I'm making all that money back and I'm seeing the ROI in our little ROI dashboard that like they're like mm-hmm. hitting... 100%, 400%, 500% return on investment. Yeah. The conversation that is going to happen next, because you also know that as an influencer, you see the dashboard. Like there's, it's very transparent. Right. Like you, you know exactly how many people you referred. Mm-hmm. Um, the conversation that happens next is like, okay, so we tried and obviously I have a lot of traction with your product and within my community. Would you like to renegotiate like and reassess right. what, we're, what we're doing here? And if the brand is not represented by a complete idiot, mm-hmm. there's no one in their right mind will tell a person who is bringing hundreds of paid users that mm-hmm. you we're not going to elevate the budget for you. We are going to lose those people that you continue bringing. We're going to stop this partnership and not get those paid users and not utilize the potential of your community just because we don't want to. Like that's just, that's that's just complete nonsense. But what will happen is if you charge too much and then the ROI is low and it's below 20%, which is like, you know, kind of like that, mm-hmm. uh, that mark for us, for at least that like, you know, if you're, if you're not bringing in at least 20% of what we're, what you're getting in mm-hmm. sponsorship, that that's not a good investment for us. That doesn't look good on our reports. That's mm-hmm. when we'll come back and say, you know what, we're going to wrap this up. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and that's, in that sense, it's going to be very difficult for you to come back because then you have to come up with some really creative idea of how to convince us that we need to continue testing this because you have some kind of a breakthrough that is going mm-hmm. to change that math around. Yeah. Well, this is, this is great. I mean, um, if any brands or individuals are watching this, I would say that, yes, <laughs> Restream makes it super simple because literally within the same, uh, 
the same interface. I get to see everything. I get to see who signed up for the, the free version. I get to see who upgraded. And you know, there's additional payout if you refer someone who becomes a paid member. So it does accumulate. I think as a creative content creator, it just ease of use, ease of tracking. And by the way, this is not a given from every brand. I've worked with several brands in the past. Uh, at the very least, I usually have to log into another system. Sometimes the system is down. I don't get to see it. So it's a little clunky. Like for me, it's another to-do on a weekly basis to go and look. And there's a third type, which is as brands are starting out, you have no insights into, as a creator, you have no insights into how well you're doing, which can be frustrating because I want to know what's working. Um, I, ideally, you know, I want to be able to see sort of, oh, new, new subscriber, new users as a result of this video. Because for us, it's possible that I have a video like the Zoom webinar has now 67, 70,000 views. I assume that's driving all the subscribers, but maybe one of these videos over here with hundreds of views that are actually driving, you know, because it's more focused, um, it, it's, it's super helpful. So um, I had to re respect your time. I know we can talk about this forever, um, yeah. but I, I, but I want to definitely, and I see more viewers on LinkedIn, which brings me super happy today. I don't think it's being tracked here necessarily, but um, anybody have any questions now or after the show, please drop a comment. And I really, really love to talk about this. You can ask me and I don't have to bother Anya any further, but their companies recently reached out to me to say, I want to start this program, this influencer program. Let's start with YouTube. We have a lot of fear. We have a lot of doubts. And I immediately thought of you. So if I can make the final couple of questions be about yeah. lessons learned, you know, for you and, you know, man, you didn't have much support when you first started. You had to figure a lot of this stuff out. And Restream is very, I feel like it's a very hip young company, but there are also other companies a little bit, you know, um, yeah. a little bit more bureaucracy. Uh, how, how do you kind of manage all that? Yeah, if you're just starting an influencer program and you're a brand uh, and you're a digital brand like us, of course, that's the only thing that I can kind of like speak about intelligently. I would say like I was, I didn't have a lot of resources in terms of, I didn't have a big team when I started. I didn't have like ridiculous budgets. I did have a budget. So like, that's the first thing that I recommend you think about because when you're working with influencers, you've got to have a budget. Mm -hmm. You are not going to get good stuff for free. And you kind of touched on that way earlier mm -hmm. that some, some influencers and creators are willing to do things for free just just for the brand recognition, just for the fact that they can put that on their resume. Oh, I work with Sony or I work with... Uh, mm -hmm. with someone else. But in the end of the day, uh, you got to get what you pay for. And the level of commitment is going to be very low if you're asking people for barter, like, hey, here's here's our product in exchange for, for a thing. Mm -hmm. And we do those things. We do them with like really small creators till today to kind of like help lift them up because of course they just, they don't have the numbers. They cannot bring conversions as of right now, but they want to practice. They want to train and we say, okay, get the free account try to do things. And if we see traction, if you start growing, then we will start sponsoring you. So, but in the end of the day, you have to have a budget, like, especially if you want to work with people that are really going to bring value to you. So make mm -hmm. sure you check that box first. It might not be a massive, gigantic budget, but it has to be there. It has to be available and you have to be, while accountable for it, you have to be the decision maker on it. If you're asking mm -hmm. permission to spend every $500 to, to sponsor a YouTube video or a blog, mm -hmm. you're not going to be successful because bureaucracy is not your friend in this kind of thing. So you got to iterate really fast. 
The key right. for building a good influencer program is to test different things. Test how would it work if you show up as a guest on the influencer channel. Test what happens if they create a video on demand. Test what happens if they run a live show and then they say this show is powered by Sony or Canon or whatever, like your brand. Mm -hmm. Test what happens if they write, if they post, if they tag you on social media, if they do a swap of videos on demand, like you put something on their channel, they put something on yours. So like do a lot of testing and measure, measure like crazy, see what works, see what brings you value and know exactly what those value criteria are. For us, it's definitely conversions, number one, reaching exposure, so viewership engagement, number two. So if that's, those are the things that you're measuring, just see the top performers and then see what are the top performing activations or, mm -hmm. or activities, right? And then just continue laser focusing on those and don't be... I guess the last third, third advice, don't be afraid to cut off certain activities. And I know it hurts. It's so painful to admit that, oh, we thought that sponsoring live shows is a great idea or doing a monthly mm -hmm. uh, exclusive partnerships when you only talk about our brand and no other brands is a great mm -hmm. idea, but it just doesn't work. Don't be afraid to admit, okay, that, that, that experiment failed. It doesn't work. We're going to do something else and move on because that's, that's when you will finally... The trick, the trick is to find what works fastest, faster than your competitors, <laughs> at least, yeah. at least there. And exactly. then, and then invest and nurture and grow that. Yeah. I, and I know we're coming up time, but I do want to just, you know, give a shout out to Restream for not only now nurturing and building a really rather large influencer community, but we are actually connected as opposed to blocking the influencers. It's like, Faye, don't talk to Mark. Mark, don't talk to Faye. We're kind of in this community and we're growing together. We have these, you know, bi-weekly meetings where we get to learn from one another uh, tricks that we can share, like things that I feel like Restream naturally comes up on social media. I'll share it there. There's a link in the description below because you're watching the way we're using Restream. And I'll also mention on my website under what I call like kind of the capsule uh, software. If I have five software I choose to use for my business, you know, Restream is one of them and why. And another trick I think I need in conversations with you, instead of pivoting from my original Zoom videos to not ever talk about Zoom again, I realized you know, uh, Zoom can be connected to Restream, which has become really popular videos. But also I talk about content repurposing all the time. But where do the original content come from? Well, I create them easily using Restream. So people love making connections as opposed to shouting, you know, only giving shout outs to your brands. So I, totally. I it, yeah, so community aspects and, you know, think about where you can integrate, not just for the YouTube videos, where else you can mention, you know, I, I have a community on Facebook group. I want to tell people if it's appropriate. I'm not going to just beat down every door uh, to sell the product. So uh, it's been so wonderful. Anya, is there anything else before I let you go? Anything else you would like to say? Um, yeah, I think just, just to add on to the last thing that you mentioned about educating your influencers, it is also one of those kind of like dilemmas that influencer marketers, marketers face. On one hand, you want to work with people who all, you don't need to teach them how to market products, right? Like that's going to be a premise. If I need to teach you how to promote, how to build the community, how to promote my product, you need to pay me, right? <laughs> because I'm the teacher. So on one hand, you have this idea that, okay, those people are professional marketers, they're community builders, they're creators, they know how to promote stuff. But on the other hand, if you don't supply them with, with everything that they need, with talking points, with value app propositions, with graphics, with materials, with those webinars that we do for influencers for, where we share what something mm -hmm. worked for one person, what is a good call, good call to action? What's a good way to um, pitch 
people from signing up for free to upgrading for paid, like Mm -hmm. good ideas, good examples, good case studies of like, okay, so John here did this and it worked great for him. And Ian here did that. So those kind of things are going to be essential part of your work. So don't think that you'll ever be able to drop that because if you want a powerful, powerful community of ambassadors and influencers, you got to give a lot to them. Mm -hmm. So it's not an easy job, but it's wonderful. It's fun because you have to have the opportunity to work with creative people and you have the opportunity to learn about yourself, your product, your community, your user, like in no other field or area. So yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for being a big art influencer because I'm learning from you. Yeah. Oh my goodness. This such a pleasant conversation and all the videos are going to stay on wherever you're watching this and I'm going to take us offline now. Bye guys. This episode of the Face World podcast is brought to you by Face World LLC, our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses. We offer website development, video production, marketing mentorship to people who want to tell better stories, level up, and create a profitable brand. Face World podcast team, our chief editor and producer, Herman Ceballos, associate producer, Adam Leffert, social media and content manager, Rose DeLeon, transcript editor Alina Ahmidova, and lastly, myself, the creator and host of FaZe World. Thank you so much for listening.